Ladies and gentlemen, audience members, please join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers to today's program. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We thank our viewing audience for being with us. My name is Jennifer Sloan, and I'm the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to the province, and to our country. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events this season. On December 18th, join us as Frédéric Odea, Chairman and CEO of Société Générale, discusses adapting the banking model to the 21st century, followed by a conversation with CIBC's President and CEO, Victor Dodig. And on January 6th, the Canadian Club, in partnership with the National Post, will be hosting our 38th annual Financial Outlook with an expert panel reflecting on the economy, the markets, and political issues that will affect Canadians in the year ahead. This year's panel will be moderated by our own Bruce Celery and will feature Conrad Black, Terence Corcoran, Andrew Coyne, Diane Francis, and Warren Justin. For a full listing of the club's upcoming events and to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. You can also join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. And I'd like to express special thanks to today's event sponsors, National Bank, Manulife, and our reception sponsor, TMX. Thank you for your generous support and for being with us today. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker. He is one of Canada's most experienced and respected corporate executives. Since 2009, Michael Sabia has led the Caste de Dépôt et Placement du Québec. The CAS has been providing optimal returns on client deposits and contributing to Quebec's economic development for almost 50 years. The CAS is one of the largest fund managers in North America. Its 31 depositors have net assets totaling almost $215 billion. You should also know that this leading private equity investment organization is among the top 10 largest real estate asset managers in the world. As president and chief executive officer, Mr. Sabi is responsible for the CAS's strategic direction. Prior to his current role, he held executive positions at Canada's largest telecommunications company, BCE. He was CEO of Bell Canada International, 
and Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of BCE before stepping into the role of President and CEO in 2002. Mr. Sabia has held senior roles at Canadian National Railway, including Chief Financial Officer. For 10 years, the U of T and Yale graduate was a senior official with the federal government. A member of the Governing Council of Finance Montreal, Mr. Sabia is an active community leader as well. He has chaired or co-chaired a number of initiatives, including Maison Saint-Gabriel and the Montreal Heart Institute Foundation. His leadership in the corporate boardroom and the community was recently recognized by Montreal's Concordia University with an honorary doctorate. Mr. Sabia, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here, and I'm grateful for your invitation. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, do you to imagine a scene for me for a moment? So there are two fish are swimming along, and they come across an older fish. And the old guy, the old guy asks, "So, how's the water?" The younger fish they look a little puzzled, kind of like it's a trick question. And they swim along after passing the older guy without answering probably thinking that the old guy's a little crazy. And eventually, a little later, one of them turns to the other look, with a slight tone of embarrassment and says, what the hell is water? Well, it's a familiar story, I know, but I think it's an important one. The point, of course, is that sometimes we can't always see or understand what is immediately around us. Sometimes we're just too close up. To see better, we need to change perspective and to step back a little. That's probably true of life. I, I think it's true of investing, and it's certainly true given the uncertain and uneven state of the global economy. Trying to figure that out, and I just can't resist this, trying to figure that out is almost as difficult as trying to answer the question, why is it that a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs has not touched the Stanley Cup since you watched it in black and white, and you watched it right after I Love Lucy. <laughs> now, George, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm glad it's your problem, not my problem. All I'll say is, go Habs. <laughs> in any event, nonetheless, today I'd like to talk a little bit about the state of the global economy and how we at La Caisse are navigating it. So, so let's start. Let's start in the United States. Certainly, the United States has come back a long way from 2008, thanks to a number of things. Very courageous monetary policy, an unprecedented revolution in energy production, continuing technological innovation, and frankly, that great intangible, never-say-die resilience of America. And all of that's contributed to rates of growth that, well, yes, a little slower than post-war standards, are nevertheless clear evidence that the recession is behind the U.S., making that country one of the very bright spots in the global economy. Now, meanwhile, China wants everyone's Superman with rates of growth faster than a speeding bullet, able to erect tall buildings in a single bound, 
Well, China's come back to Earth. It's still a great and a growing country and an increasingly powerful presence on the world stage. But frankly, with an economic strategy focused largely, and I think rightly, on bolstering domestic consumption and building a services economy, China is not going to drive global growth in the way it once did. So the next big engine, perhaps, and I underline perhaps, India, where reforms in financial sector policy, energy, agriculture may, may be inching that country toward breakout economic growth. And then, of course, there's Europe and Japan. Old, rich countries, slowly growing poorer. Why? Because of the failure, in my view, the abject failure of their respective political classes to understand the urgency of structural reform or to marshal the political will to implement it. Now, quantitative easing in Europe and in Japan, it may buy some time for these economies, but it will not save them. The only thing that will is political courage. Now, if you put all that together, in our view, you have a world of, of uneven, fragile growth, a fragile global economy. Not, not a world in crisis, but one that is hanging on to growth with at least a few slippery fingers. Yes, a volatile world with geopolitical risks running high from Asia to the Middle East to Ukraine, with the risk the real risk of economic stagnation in Europe brought on by increasing political polarization and political intransigence. And ahead, global markets. Global markets that have become addicted to monetary stimulus and that are likely to suffer bouts of withdrawal at even modestly tighter monetary policy in the US. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I think there's something else, something else contributing to the volatility that we see in the world today, and I think it's been going on for years, and I think it's getting worse. And that is the short-termism of markets. Markets dominated by those chasing returns quarter by quarter, month by month, or even day by day. Investors whose preoccupation, quick wins, fast returns. Essentially, they're traders who parse every utterance of the Fed and react to every other rumor that they hear in a given day. And that mindset matters. It matters because in that frame of mind, stocks, companies become interchangeable. They become commodities. But companies are not commodities. In our economic system, companies play critical roles in allocating resources, determining levels of investment, innovating, creating jobs, and driving productivity. So when we treat companies like commodities, we run the risk of creating a vicious circle that undermines the long-term growth of both companies and economies. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. Because CEOs respond to the demand for short-term performance by focusing their strategies on quarterly performance instead of building great businesses. And that behavior, multiplied across companies, across sectors, weakens long-term economic growth. At Lacaze, we're not going down that road. First, because we don't believe that it's the best way to manage in this environment. And second, because we have an interest in the long-term health of every economy that we invest in, wherever that is in the world. 
all long-term investors do. So ladies and gentlemen, when we invest, we want to build. We're builders, not traders. Now, you may ask, what does that mean? Well, I think it means investing like a business owner. Business owners have a deep understanding of the fundamentals of the company or the asset that they're investing in. They know a business's culture, its people, its operations, its strengths, its weaknesses. They understand the industry, they understand the competition, and they understand the customer. And importantly, they have the patience that comes from a profound sense of a business's intrinsic value that allows them to see through short-term market fluctuations. And in return, yes, they demand and they have a right to performance. Because we want to invest as owners, we insist now on a comprehensive understanding of the financial and the operational aspects of every investment we make. Achieving that means going far beyond, far beyond knowing the numbers or doing the traditional kind of investment research. Now, you'll probably say, well, that seems pretty obvious. Know what you're investing in. But the kind of deep knowledge that I'm talking about is actually a big change. I'm talking about something that transforms everything we do from the way we do research to the people we hire to the kinds of conversations we have about potential investments. It's meant hiring people who have actually worked in companies with operating experience and a clear understanding of how those companies create value. Professionals who aren't, aren't afraid to get their hands a little dirty. Yes, of course we need people who can read a balance sheet and financial statements, but we also need engineers and geologists and metallurgists and telecom specialists and people who understand consumer products. At La Case, we've built a culture that now pools knowledge from across our organization, across asset classes, so that we can work in sync and not in silos, generating the kind of knowledge that leads to deep convictions. By assessing risk from a variety of perspectives and by focusing not just on due diligence, but on deep diligence, we can develop the kinds of convictions needed to take large positions for the long term. For us, deep knowledge is the new risk management. And we use that, that business owner mindset to invest in real things rooted in the real economy used by real people every day, not in abstract financial products that only a math PhD can understand and based on my experience, even they don't always get it right. That's why, for instance, since 2012, we've converted $50 billion of our public equities into portfolios that contain the best platinum-grade companies in the world. Businesses you know, offering products and services you probably use, companies like Canadian National, like Manulife, like Kustal, like Microsoft, Colgate, Nestle, many others. Companies chosen not, not because they're part of an index, but because of the quality of their operations, the strength of their market position, the capability of their leadership, the health of their balance sheet, and their prospects for the long term. Think about this for a minute. 
does it really make sense to do what so many large investors do? You know, as you know, they, they, they start by buying an index, say, in this case, the TSX, and they end up with six banks, when they really only like three banks. But they buy six because they're in the index. And then they commit a bit more to the ones they like and a little bit less to the ones they don't like in an effort to fractionally beat the index. Well, in my world, like three, buy three. At La Case, we, we want to own the best companies, the best assets, with the best prospects for solid long-term returns, period. That's what we do in our real estate business. We don't just invest in properties, we operate them through our subsidiary of Anaway Cambridge. With over $40 billion in assets, Ivanaway Cambridge is one of the world's leading real estate companies with assets in Canada, the United States, Latin America, and Europe. In the United States, we're either acquiring or developing office towers in New York, Chicago, Seattle, Denver, and Silicon Valley, some of the best, most resilient markets in the country. I might say in a world where fixed income is going to pay us somewhere around 2 to 3% a year for the foreseeable future, we're more and more comfortable with real estate that pays us 6 to 7%. And I say that even if real estate is less liquid. And that's why we're purchasing 3 Bryant Park in Manhattan, one of the city's iconic and most consistently performing real estate assets. In Canada, we're invested in some of the country's signature buildings from Placeville Marie in Mon Montreal to 8th Avenue Place in Calgary. And here in Toronto, we're joining with Metrolinx to explore building a new architectural landmark at 45 Bay, an integrated office and transit development project that will set the standard for environmental performance. We're also investing in infrastructure, and we're doing it around the world. An asset class we like because almost by definition it's a long-term investment, ideally suited to the needs of a pension fund one that throws off steady cash flow and, as you know, often with very substantial barriers to entry. We believe that infrastructure is an asset class with enormous global potential. By even conservative estimates, the world needs to invest an additional four to five trillion dollars a year to meet the demands of rapidly growing cities. It means urban transit, water, electricity systems, ports, airports. And that need, that need is everywhere in already advanced and in rapidly advancing economies. We see it here in Toronto on congested highways. We see it in my own city in Montreal where crews are literally desperately shoring up the Champlain Bridge until it can be replaced. And that's why, that's why at Lacaze we're investing in infrastructure projects range from the Port of Brisbane in Australia Colonial Pipeline in the United States, to London's Heathrow Airport, as well as major wind projects in both Europe and the United States. The next frontier for us in infrastructure is not just investing in existing infrastructure, but developing new greenfield projects in the same way that we do with real estate, drawing on the now strong operating skills that we're building. So, to create value in a world of uneven and fragile growth, we fundamentally changed how we invest by adopting the mindset of a business owner, a builder. Now, 
ladies and gentlemen, in the current complex environment that we all find ourselves, that environment demands something else. Because no matter how good our people are, no matter how hard they work, we can't understand everything in this insufficient detail to avoid making mistakes. So another cornerstone of our strategy going forward is to work with partners, be they like-minded funds from Canada or abroad, or be they families or companies, or for that matter, governments around the world. That's why for the last number of years, we've reached out across borders, engaging partners with their extensive network of contacts, their understanding of the political and economic landscape, partners who know their markets best and see the opportunities first. Some examples, in Brazil, we've worked with the Carvalho family to take a stake in 22 shopping centers, capitalizing on that country's growth of the middle class. In Mexico, we've joined with Black Creek Group to develop mixed-use urban communities in Mexico City, Monterey, and Guadalajara. And in France, we've teamed up with the National Railroad, SNCF, to invest in a company called Keolis, the fifth largest public transit company in the world that moves two and a half billion people every year in cities from Melbourne to Boston. To do even more in the future, as Lacaze builds a larger global footprint, one of the lessons we take from the investing that we've done in our experiences here in Quebec and in Canada is that presence matters. And that's why we've decided to add to our existing offices in Paris, New York, and Beijing with new offices in Singapore, in Mexico City, in Mumbai, and in Sydney. Why? It's simple. To develop relationships with the best partners to ensure we have access to the best opportunities. Bottom line, even in the face of volatility in a fragile global economy, there are opportunities. If you know where to look, you know what you're doing, and you have the right partners. As we work to globalize Lacaze, we're also investing in companies in Quebec that can become significant players in the United States and around the world. Companies like CGI, an enterprise we've known for over 30 years. We helped it to acquire UK-based Logica. Pourquoi? Why? Because the deal ex extends CGI's global reach. Or WSP, a Quebec-based engineering firm that was formerly known as Genival. And we teamed up with the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board to help build Genival and then to help it acquire WSP, raising the combined company's profile on every continent and enabling it to become a more global engineering company. And in that same spirit of openness, we worked under Don, Donald Galloin's leadership, we worked with Manulife to help it acquire Standard Life in Montreal, a partnership that I'm pleased to say is continuing as we work jointly with Manulife to build the new Quebec headquarters for Manulife. Our in-depth knowledge of companies also enables us to turn around those with short-term problems, but long-term potential. Companies like Quebec-based Rona, where we work to strengthen the board and to install new management. Moves that are beginning now to pay real dividends as the business gets back on track and heads in the right direction. When the circumstances are right, 
We want to be able to engage companies, engage with companies, so that we're building, so we're building the capabilities we need to work more closely with boards and management where we think we can make a difference, a constructive, cooperative difference for the long-term health of that company. Our goal, to be an active, but never an activist shareholder. So ladies and gentlemen, how do you manage in today's global economy? In our view, by thinking and by investing like a business owner, being a builder, developing deep asset-specific knowledge, acting globally, and taking a long-term perspective. What's the fundamental value of that approach? Just this. It creates a virtuous circle that improves risk-adjusted returns over time. It treats companies as businesses to be built, not as commodities to be traded, encouraging them always to take the longer view, to invest in innovation, and to focus on building long-term performance. Writ large, at scale, across an economy, we also believe that this approach can help stabilize capital markets a bit to help reduce the noise and the distractions that so often lead to irrational volatility and bad investment decisions. In a fast-paced, uneven world like ours, taking a step back is often a step in the right direction, allowing us to see the bigger picture, to build better, and to invest smarter. And I might say, I think, to navigate the waters, those turbulent waters, that are all around us. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Bruce Sellery, and I am a director of the Canadian Club. Mr. Sabia, on behalf of the Canadian Club, I want to thank you for your insights today. And uh, in particular, deep diligence, not due diligence. That is uh, a compelling call to action for a lot of us listening today. Your leadership of the case has been outstanding, and we appreciate you taking the time to share your vision with us today. We will even forgive the hockey comment. Forgive him for that. So please accept our best wishes for continued success. Thank you. I'd like to echo Bruce's message and thank Mr. Sabia for his insightful and informative message today. Very much appreciated. I would once again like to express our special thanks to today's event sponsors, Manulife, National Bank, and TMX. Uh, your generous support has made today's event possible. Thank you very much. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey card on each of your tables. We are always looking for ways to improve your experience, so please take a minute to help us by sharing your thoughts and comments, including whether you like our new shortened luncheon format. This concludes our program today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We'd like to thank uh, mediaevents.ca for live webcasting today's event. You can also visit the Canadian Club website to download webcasts and podcasts of our events and to learn more about the club. Please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Our meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>